everybody. Hello. Welcome back to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammy Hall, but for ghosts. There it is. Um, it's a hot day in New York City. It's so hot the lobsters are coming out red. I don't Okay, I guess I guess I get it. But I just don't know where, where that's from. Because she has said this like twice already. I just don't know where it's from. It's from the Peter Ustinov version of uh, Evil Under the Sun. There it is. It's a great movie. Um, so um, you may hear a slight buzz because we had to keep at least an air conditioner on the studio today because y'all who don't know me and y'all who do know me, I'm a sweater and I just literally cannot just sit in my pool of sweat today. And I will straight up become murderous. So um, you may hear that for the next couple of episodes. Mm. Um, in any case, I'm really excited. We are coming up on, um, this is the 45th anniversary year of the Son of Sam attacks oh and i thought it'd be really interesting to um to talk about them and and there is a, a netflix documentary out right now about the son of sam i'm going to reference it later in this um but i really wanted to cover uh, a thorough kind of examination of it and go mm -hmm. through it and this is our first serial killer you know we've done a little we, 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 we've trickled into the true crime world yep. um you know most of the show so far has been a lot of hauntings and stuff but yep. um this is pretty exciting so for 13 months, Christina, from July 1976 to August 1977, New York was being terrorized by a serial killer. His name was David Berkowitz, but his alias would become much more famous over the course of the next 45 years, the Son of Sam. Christina, what do you know about the Son of Sam? Um, I know he was scary. He was a serial killer. I know... That my mom remembers being super frightened. That like everybody being frightened that summer. Yeah. Um, I know. That may be all I know. Which is fair. I uh, know that there, like you said, there's a Netflix documentary that I have yet to watch because the the cover image just scares me. Yeah, it's a little. I watched it late last night, mm -hmm. and it was very spectacular because of you know it does that thing where the music is so eerie, and yeah. so like this makes you feel like someone's gonna murder you. Um, you know, but as I was putting together this episode, I realized that it's not uncommon for our generation and certainly the generation after us to not really know the son of Sam, mm. to not really uh, understand the weight and the gravity of what he what he did to our city. What do you know, Christina, about New York City in the 70s? I know that my mom hated all the fashion. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah, we saw her the other day and she was like, the fashion was terrible. Yes, yes, hated it, the brown and the orange together, she was not a fan. Um, I know that, I want to say that it was grittier. I want to say that it was a lot grittier. I want to say that, didn't Studio 54 come out in the 70s? So like, Yeah, late 70s, early Yeah, late 70s. Um, so I, I know that that's where it was around this time period. Um, what do I know about New York City in the 70s? I know... Well, you said something that was really important. You gritty. said gritty. Um, I ask you these questions because I think New York City, its climate, its mood, its ambiance, plays a really deep role in the story of the Son of Sam. Yeah. Um, you know, when researching this case, I got super overwhelmed, like so overwhelmed that I discovered that it's not just... I didn't find just one episode worth of the story. So for the first time ever, we're doing a two-parter. This is our first two-part... <laughs> So this week you're, you're stuck with my voice narrating and next week you're stuck with my voice narrating. But there's so much. And so today I'm going to take you through the 13 months of, of these attacks, these murders, these shootings, and talk about who the man was. And then next week I'm going to talk more about uh, the, the, the trial, the aftermath, the controversy, the conspiracy, and conspiracy. all that stuff. Yes. So you, 
you know, get ready. I'm ready. Next week, you're going to get a lot of that. But um, be, because here's the thing. We know that though David Berkowitz committed these murders, 45 years later, we're still living with the eerie truth that he may have not worked alone. Ooh. And perhaps there was a thread that connected him to other infamous murderers, Ooh. other infamous um, you know, serial killers and groups, people like Charles Manson. Oh, but more on that next week. Um, I feel uh, it's really important to situate ourselves when we're in these, when we're when we're doing these shows. You know, I always say, Christina, situate us, because like I think it's important, especially when we're talking about where we are in New York City or yeah. New York State. Uh, it, it really plays into the story of what's happening. Yeah. It's part of the fiber of, of what 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 the what tapestry, can, the tapestry, if you will. Um, and so today's no different because I think it's really vital. So as we stated, NYC, the 70s was not a great place. Gritty is the best way of describing <laughs> it. But it's long gone was the glamour of New York City. And we were far away from the Disney invasion of Times Square. Mm. New York City in the late 70s was plagued by severe economic and political troubles, unlike any that the city had ever experienced before. So faced with economic stagnation, industrial decline, and the looming threat of altogether bankruptcy, New York City responded by laying off city workers and yes. cutting municipal services. So Yes, that's the other thing I know about the 70s. I know that my grandfather was laid off, and I know that, uh, isn't this when CUNY no longer is free? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't even talk about that much, but yes, that's a thing. That's my biggest complaint about the 70s. Um, and so we lose firefighters. We lose sanitation workers. We lose after-school programs. Mm. And in particular, we lose police officers. Mm. Um, so New York is being protected, in theory, a little less against crime, being protected, in theory, a little less than fire, mm-hmm. and kind of smells like shit because mm. sanitation is being cut. So there's weeks and, and there's days when people aren't picking up the garbage. Ooh. So it's kind of gross in New York. Um, the city's high unemployment rates got higher. Uh, so many of the middle-class families, uh, more than 820,000 people just fled to the to the suburbs. Mm. Um, that's where we get the white flight from ah, in the yes. 70s. And... Um, you know, because of this, people were fed up. They turned to drugs. They turned to vandalism. They turned to rioting. Crime was on the rise. New York yeah. was not the place to be. And uh, it's also a time that um, the the it's also a time when the wholesale disintegration of the largest city in the most powerful nation seemed in, entirely possible. People thought this could be the end of New York City. And it's so crazy. Wow. And I say this because I, and I always talk so much about our generation because we didn't live through this. I was born in the late 80s. Yeah, same, 89. Know, and people after us don't kind of realize it. And the way we look at New York City, and it's interesting because we look at New York City now in 2021 through a lens of what we just went through with the pandemic, yeah. which is nowhere near, doesn't even hold a, a, a flame to to the economic downfall that that was bestowed upon the city in the well, 70s. Well, that's incredible. Exactly. That blows my mind. Uh, this is also um, a time where um, President Gerald Ford, egged on by his young chief of staff, Donald Rumsfeld, oh, hmm. more on that tyrant in a couple of years, <laughs> um, they sought to not aid New York, but to actually shame it. That sounds right. And then we received the infamous headline in the Daily News, Ford's a city, drop dead. Oh, cute. Gerald Ford refused to give New York City a bailout. He was like, figure it out on your own. 
Um, so travelers arriving to New York City airports in June of 1975 were greeted by possibly the weirdest and strangest thing ever handed out to anyone ever. It was a pamphlet with a hooded figure of death on the cover warning them, quote, until things change, stay away from New York City if you possibly can. That's when they got off the airplane? When they got there, they have people were in the terminals. Being oh, my God. A 2015 article in The Atlantic took a deep dive into these pamphlets. I got to read it. Uh, the pamphlet opened up with a headline that read, quote, Welcome to Fear City. Um, and it was subtitled, A Survival Guide for Visitors to the City of New York. Oh, my God. Inside was a list of nine guidelines that might allow you to get out of the city alive and with your personal property <laughs> intact. The guidelines painted this crazy nightmare version of New York. Would you like to know the guidelines? I would love to know the I'm guidelines. I'm going to read them. Then I'm also going to post this on our social media because I have images of it. And I'll show you, I'll show you Christina after because okay. I can like, turn my computer around. Right. Um, so number one, stay off the streets after 6 p.m. Ooh. And each of the guidelines have a whole little rundown. I'm just going to give you the guidelines. And yeah. then y'all can read the, the little blurbs. And I'm going to make social. noises of disbelief over here. Do not walk. If you have to leave your hotel after 6 p.m., don't walk alone. Get a radio taxi. Do something, but don't walk. Avoid public transportation. Remain in Manhattan. Oh. Protect your property. Safeguard your handbag. And conceal property in automobiles. So, like, if you have something in your car, make sure. Oh, I see. Because people are going to break into it. My mom still does that. Um, There's two more. I couldn't find the other two. Um, (laughs) The page turned, and I don't have that page. Um, I bet it's something somewhat redundant, like, we already have don't walk, don't take the subway. You know, it's probably something like, please continue to not walk. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these are, like, kind of redundant. I was going to say, I feel like a few of those are like, you just said that. Yeah, they're just, we're serious about it. Just want to drill it home. In any case... New York is more dangerous than ever. Residents are are trying to keep tourists out, which further puts the economy in decline, right? Mm-hmm. People are coming. How does New York survive by tourists? We're all tourism. about we're all about tourism. And so um economy's in decline. There's less officer, five men, sanitation workers. The city's in shambles. Enter David Berkowitz. Mm. Berkowitz is 23 and 24 during the events of these 13 months. And the terror that he brought upon the city was was kind of insane. Berkowitz was raised by his adopted parents in the Bronx. Uh, his youth was troubling after watching his adopted mother die of cancer in mm. 1967. In 71, he joins the Army, serves three years, where he distinguishes himself as a talented marksman. More on that later. Huh. In 74, he returns to New York and works as a security guard. Mm-hmm. His mental capacity began to severely deteriorate in 75 and would later be diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Oh, Okay. His crimes begin in 75 as he commits a ton of arson. Mm-hmm. He's setting hundreds of fires in New York City and is never caught or arrested for any of them. Um, in, in, in addition, we will later find out he moves to Yonkers. He also commits these same arsons in Yonkers and mm-hmm. also isn't, isn't found out about. But it, there is a hum of a war, hums of there's something a little off with David Berkowitz. Okay. And more on that, you know, later. <laughs> um, we find out later that he began to hear voices of quote-unquote demons that tormented him and told him to commit murder. Mm. On Christmas Eve, 1975, he gave in to these internal voices and severely wounded 15-year-old Michelle Foreman oh. with a hunting knife. Oh, my God. Michelle survives the attack. Uh, in 76, he moves into a two-family home in Yonkers, uh, a suburb of New, a suburb of New York, um, Berkowitz becomes convinced that the German shepherd that lived in the house and the other neighbor dogs were possessed by demons, who orders him to murder attractive young women. 
Huh. One of the neighborhood dogs was shot during this time, probably by Berkowitz. Right. He also began to see his neighbors as demons. In April, Berkowitz moves to an apartment in Yonkers, but his new home also has dogs. His neighbor, retiree Sam Carr, had a black Labrador retriever named Harvey, who Berkowitz believed pleaded with him to kill. We're going to learn a lot more about all that next week. Yeah. But. I want to also know the reasoning why you listen to demons talking to you to kill. Well... On July 28th, 1976, Berkowitz quits a job as security guard. Um, and during during all this, he takes a job as uh, in the poster in the postal service. Mm-hmm. Um, the date of that is not really existing or relevant. Uh, only that he during this year, he isn't working security. He's working as a postal service uh, person and personal agent, if you will. And um, all the people he works with say he's like Chile F. They're like, mm-hmm. day work is great. He's wonderful. He's right. a little loner, but he's fine. The next morning, July 29, 76, around 1, 10 a.m., Berkowitz would commit his first shooting in the Pelham Bay area of the Bronx. Mm. 18-year-old Donna Luria, an emergency medical technician, and her friend Jody Valenti, a nurse who was 19, were sitting in Valenti's double park Oldsmobile discussing their evening at Peachtree's, uh, a New Rochelle discotheque. Mm. Luria opens the car door to leave and notices a man quickly approaching the car. Startled and angered by the man's sudden appearance, she said, now what's this all about? And then all of a sudden, Berkowitz produces a pistol from a paper bag uh, and and crouches down. He braces one elbow on his knee, aims his weapon with both hands, and fires. Oh, my God. Luria struck by one bullet that kills her instantaneously. Valenti was shot in her thigh and there was a third bullet that missed both women. Mm-hmm. The, the the person who shoots flees. Mm-hmm. Valenti survives the injury and said that she didn't recognize her friend's killer. She described him as a white male in his 30s with a fair complexion, 5'8", weighing 200 pounds. His hair was short, dark, and curly in a mod style. The description was repeated by Luria's father, who claimed to have seen a similar man sitting in a yellow compact car nearby. Neighbors gave corroborating reports to the police that an unfamiliar yellow compact car had been cruising the area for for hours before the shooting. Oh, so he's like figuring out their their routine and their whereabouts, it sounds. Yeah, in 93, Berkowitz admits that uh, in an interview with Maury Terry uh, at the Sullivan Correctional Facility that he had indeed shot Valenti and Luria, and that's Mm. the first shooting of the son of Sam. Mm. I know you're saying to yourself, why is that factoid that Adam threw in there, the 93 interview, so important? It's going to be really important, mostly come the next episode. Okay. It follows a lot of the controversy of the son of Sam and if it was just one of son of Sam. So just keep that in your pocket. And also the idea of his look becomes really important as well. These sketches and these composite drawings become really, really important as this case uh, continues. Right. So with no leads or suspicion, the police were left with only the description of a murder on the loose. Roughly three months go by, and then October 23rd, 1976, early in the morning, a similar shooting occurs in a secluded area um, in Flushing, Queens, next to uh, Bound, Bound Park. Bound! Bound Park! Bound Park! I used to live near Bound Park. Well, thank God it wasn't on October 23rd, 1976. Right. Uh, Carl Dinero, a 20-year-old Citibank security guard, and Rosemary Keenan, an 18-year-old Queens College student, were sitting in Keenan's parked car when all of a sudden the windows suddenly shattered. Dinero would say, I felt the car exploded. Keenan quickly started the car 
and sped away for help. The panicked couple didn't realize that someone had been shooting at them, even though De Niro was bleeding from a bullet wound to his head. Oh my God. Keenan had only superficial injuries from the broken glass, but De Niro eventually needed a metal plate to replace a portion of his skull. Police determined that the bullets embedded in Keenan's car were that of a forty-four caliber. Uh, but they were so deformed that they thought it's unlikely they could ever be linked to a particular weapon. Hmm. Keenan's father was a 20-year-old veteran NYPD police detective, so he was like, I need a thorough investigation of this. Hmm. But again, with no little to no motive, there wasn't a case. It was just a random shooting. Right. There was no pattern. There was nothing. They didn't even link this to the first shooting. It right. just existed. On November 27th, 16-year-old Donna DeMassi and 18-year-old Joanne Lamino were headed to Lamino's home in Floral Park, Queens after a movie. When they were appro- I know all of these places. When they were approached on the street by a man dressed in military fatigues, who began to ask for directions. They reported that the man, in a high-pitched voice, said, Can you help me get to... And then as he said that, he quickly produced a revolver. Eek! He shot each of the victims once, and as they fell to the ground injured, he filed several more shots, striking the apartment building before running away. A neighbor heard the gunshots, rushed out of the apartment building, and saw a blonde man rushed by a gripping, a rush by a gripping pistol in his left hand. To clarify, that was a blonde man. A blonde man. And the first shooting was a dark-haired man? Dark-haired man, shaggy, mod hair. Interesting. He took out the revolver. He shot each woman once. Through the neck, Damasi survived, but without permanent injury. Lamina, however, was shot in the back and was paralyzed. Oh, God. So, 1976, in the fall, the early winter, it is nothing but, but gloom and doom in this area. So the new year rings in on January 1st, 1977. And by the end of the month, we would have yet another shooting. At about 12.40 a.m. on January 30th, 1977, 26-year-old Christine Freund, a secretary, and her fiancé, John Deal, were sitting in Deal's car in Forest Hills in the LIRR station in Queens. I've been to that station. I know that. that station. <laughs> I was going to say that the entire episode. I know where that is. Um, preparing to drive to a dance hall after I've seen the movie Rocky. It's our Rocky. They're like, great, let's go to a dance hall because of the 70s. That's what we do. Right. Three gunshots penetrate the car. In a panic, Deal drives away for help. He suffers minor superficial injuries, but Freund, Freund, was Freund? Shot, Freund was shot twice and died several hours later in the hospital. Ugh. Neither victim had seen their attacker, but Freund would be the second casualty of the Son of Sam shootings. So he shot a bunch of people right now, but the only two people who have died are, are, are Christine and the um, earlier victim. Right. Um, yeah, so he's paralyzed someone, shot a couple of people, and killed two. God. Soon after the shooting, police made their first public acknowledgement that the Freund deal shooting was similar to the other incidents. Mm-hmm. So now a case is forming. Yeah. Um, with that, they professed their suspicion that the crimes may be associated. They determined that all the victims had been struck with a forty-four caliber bullet. Mm-hmm. And the shootings seemed to target young women with dark hair. In fact, the times when men were attacked, they either appeared to have longer hair that could be easily mistaken for a young woman at the distance, right. or they are just with a young woman at uh, the, time, at the yeah. time. NYPD Sergeant Rick Richard Conlon stated that the police were, quote, leading towards a connection in all these cases. Composite sketches were released of the black-haired uh, Loria Valenti shooter and the blonde Limino Damasi shooter. Okay. And Conlon noted that the police were looking for multiple suspects, not just one. Mm. 
that's going to eventually change, which mm-hmm. is an interesting piece, I, I believe, this whole thing. Yeah. And the whole idea of it changes throughout the story of it because we go for this moment, right? We're at the fourth set of shootings, mm-hmm. right? Fourth. Um, and at this point, the NYPD official, the sergeant, says we're looking for two people. That language of two people will eventually blend away and it'll it'll near down to the one. Have you seen ske- like the composite sketches? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share them all. Do they look? Media. They look starkly different. Every single composite sketch, none of them look the same. Interesting. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week. Okay. And that's where a lot of this of this controversy come, come, comes to play. Right. But um, none of them look alike. There's not a single one. And none of them look like David Berkowitz. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, now, with the case starting to build, you think the assailant would slow down, right? Mm. Perhaps slow down the murder. They're on my tail. The opposite happens. <laughs> about 7.30 on March 8th, 1977, Virginia Voskirchen... I think I said it right. <laughs> Voskrichin, a 19-year-old Columbia student, uh, was walking home from school when she was confronted by an armed man. She lived about a block away from where Christine Friend had been shot. Mm. This one is so fucking tragic, Christina. It literally like hurts my heart. Oh, like God. it hurts my heart to talk about it. In a desperate move to defend herself, she lifts her textbook between herself and the man. The bullet goes straight through the textbook, strikes her head, and kills her. Oh. I need a break. Yeah. I'm going to take a break. Can we okay. take a break? Let's I need take a, a break. break. It's so sad. It's so heavy. We're going to yeah. take a break, folks. And we'll be back after this commercial break. So yeah, remember when we said this show was going to be light and fun? Not all, not all of them are going to be light and fun. Some of them are going to be oh. gross and heavy. Yeah, and this one's one of the ones that's going to be gross and heavy. So where we left off on March eighth, seventy seven, mm-hmm. Virginia Volskirchen, nineteen year old Columbia student, she's walking home, very nearby where Christine was was shot. Yeah, and um, she shot point blank by this person mm. once again. 44 caliber gun. So March 10th, two days later, NYPD, NYPD officials along with uh, New York City Mayor Abraham Beam hold a press conference. Mm. They declare that the same 44 Bulldog revolver had fired the shots that killed Luria and Voskirchian. Mm-hmm. The crimes were discussed by the media virtually every day. This is a, a wonderfully terrible time to be in the news. Mm. Because you have to realize, in terms of the news, at this point, there are three newspapers in New York. Mm-hmm. There are the New York Times. Daily News. The New York Daily News. And, and the really very, like, resurging New York it, Post. I was going to ask if it was the Post. Okay. Yeah. This is, you know, um, Rupert Murdoch just takes it over not too long ago. Right. So he's kind of rebuilding stuff. So, But th- that's it. There's no social media. Everything is going through these newspapers. So circulation increased dramatically for mm. the Post, the News, and the Daily News, as well as the Times. Yeah. Um, newspapers with graphic crime reporting and commentary, it slowly starts taking over the front page. It starts filling every page of it. Um, 
there's a quest. We want to know who this person is. And people are starting to be more and more outraged, right? Um, I'm going to try my hardest to to get clips of it, either on social media or even to embed them in the episode. But there's like people talking about um, now how they start warning their kids where they're allowed to go, what they're allowed to do. Mm. A lot of these things happen and and they don't really exist anymore. So they they use the phrase lover's lanes. Uh I'm like, one is a lover's lane. And (laughs) lover's lane were basically just like spots all around the city where people would just park their car and, and hook up. Yeah. You know, I believe the term at the time was necking. They were neck, but they were hooking up. And so slowly people started to, to tell people to stop doing that. Mm. Um, and the newspapers were the ones kind of circulating this. Um, in addition, foreign media featured many of the reports as well, including the front pages of newspapers such as the Vatican's Los Sotorve Romano hmm. and the Hebrew newspaper Mariv and the Soviet Izvestia. All um, great names. All great names. Um, about 3 a.m., April 17, 77, Alexander Isau, a 20-year-old truck operator, and Valentina Sorani, a Lehman College student and an aspiring actress and model who was only 18, were sitting Mm -hmm. in a car belonging to Isau's brother on the Hutchison River Parkway service road in the Bronx, Mm -hmm. but a block from the girl's home and only a few blocks from where the Loria Valenti shooting was. A resident of a nearby building heard four shots and called the police. Suryani, who was sitting in the driver's seat, was shot once and Isao twice, both in the head. Suryani mm. died at the scene. Isao died at the hospital several hours later. This is the first time that he gets both. Okay. Um, for all the other cases, it's usually he he kills one instantly, and the other one perhaps survives, or yeah, they neither. This is a, a a two shot. Okay. However, it proved to be one of the more important attacks. Do you know why that? No, is? I was just going to ask why. Um. Well, the police discover a handwritten letter near the bodies. Oh. It's written mostly block letters, capitals, with a few lowercase letters, and it's addressed to NYPT Captain Joseph Borelli. Do you want to know what it said? I do. You're going to hear it. I have it. I have it right here. I'm also going to post the original on our social media. But this is what he says, quote, I am deeply hurt by you. You're calling me a women hater. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained. Just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I'm on a different wavelength than everybody else. Programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police, shoot me first. Shoot to kill, or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Uck, me hoot, it hurts, sonny boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in Our Lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt. Prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of queens are the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. 
I live for the hunt, my life. Blood for Papa, Mr. Borelli, sir. I don't want to kill anymore, no, sir. No more, but I must. Honor thy father. I, mu I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to yahoos, to the people of Queens. I love you. And I want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bank, bang. Ugh. Yours in murder, Mr. Monster. I hate that. Oh, it was hard reading. That's the first time I read it out loud. I hate ah, that. That was rough. I hate that. What are what are what are some of the what accent is he going for in some of that? So there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, you know, first and foremost, it's not all grammatically correct. And so I try to say it as as spelt right. and you'll see it in our social media. Um, but with this letter, Berkowitz, Berkowitz reveals the name Son of Sam for the first time. Right. And the press had previously dubbed him the 44 caliber killer because right. of the weapon. This well, now they got a catchier name, so they're going to run with that, aren't they? Yeah. The letter was initially withheld from the public, but some of the contents were revealed to the press, and the name Son of Sam could quickly replace the old name. Now, at the time, the police speculated that the letter writer might be familiar with Scottish English. The phrase, me hoot it hurts, sonny boy, was taken as a Scottish-accented version of my heart. It hurts, sonny boy. And the police also hypothesized that the shooter blamed a dark-haired nurse for his father's death due to too many heart attacks, that phrase. Mm. And the facts that Luria, a medical technician right. at Valenti, was studying to be a nurse, it starts to create a theory that these murders weren't as random as we thought. Right. Women, nurses, dark hair. And if we follow that theory, then it looks like this person's doing a lot of stalking. Yeah. It's not just... Oh, I see these people. I'm going to shoot them. It's I've seen these people. I know these people. Right. In any case, after consulting with several psychiatrists, police release a psychological profile of their suspect on May 26, 77. He's described as neurotic, probably suffering from paranoid schizophrenia and believed to be a victim of demonic possession. Right. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Daily News columnist Jimmy Breslin, who was the face of the Daily News, like literally, people were the Daily News for Jimmy Breslin. Hmm. Um, you know, it's not. I mean, I, I I guess there's reporters that people know about. I mean, I know in the in the in the arts world, um, we have specific critics and whatnot. Holland Carter of the New York Times. You know, um, but Jimmy Breslin in '77 is the guy. Okay. Uh, in the Daily News, and so he writes an article directed straight to the son of Sam. The headline read, Breslin to 44 killer, give up now, it's only way out. A short time after, Breslin receives a handwritten letter from someone claiming to be the 44 caliber shooter slash the son of Sam. The letter was postmarked early the same day in Englewood, New Jersey. On the reverse of the envelope, neatly handprinted in four precisely centered lines were the words, blood and family, darkness and death, Absolute depravity, 44. The letter inside read this. <clears throat> Hello from the gutters of NYC, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. 
Hello from the sewers of NYC, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. JB, I'm just dropping a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in those recent and horrendous 44 caliber killings. I also want to tell you that I read your column daily, and I find it quite informative. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like, because I don't care for publicity. However, you must not forget about Donna Luria, and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad, and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his blood. Mr. Breslin, sir, don't think that because you haven't heard from me in a while that I went to sleep. No, rather, I am still here, like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest, anxious to please Sam. I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday, or perhaps I will be blown away by cops with smoking 38s. Whatever, if I shall be fortunate enough to meet you... I will tell you all about Sam, and if you like, and I will introduce you to him. His name is Sam the Terrible. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say, you will see my handiwork at the next job. Remember Miss Luria. Thank you. In their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation, 44. Here are some names to help you along. For them to inspector for use by NCIC. The Duke of Death. The Wicked King Wicker. The 22 Disciples of Hell. John Weedy's Rapist and Suffocator of Young Girls. P.S. J.B., please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging. Drive on. Think positive. Get off your butts. Knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture... I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. I'm interested in part, well, there's many things that are, I guess, interesting. One one thing that interests me is the, to- the, the tone or the language of the letter feels different. Starkly different. This feel, the other one was sort of incomprehensible and clearly unhinged this one feels unhinged in a very purposeful like I know turns a phrase that are going to like make your skin crawl kind of way and it's just there's none of this Scottish accent situation it just feels different they both are laced with a lot of symbolism yeah which, which I think ties them together yes um I think I feel when reading it a bunch as I have that first letter comes across more deliberately unhinged mm, and this is just like i this this is more of a reveal of the the type of unhinged this character in the is. end david berkowitz is is you know to the people who know him he perceived as pretty sane right someone who can write like that i mean who can speak right, like right, this right um Oof. but there's you know underneath the son of sam was a sketch logo that combined several symbols again i'll post that um the writer's question what will you have for July 29th? Yeah. That was considered an ominous threat. July 29th would be the anniversary of the first 44 caliber killing. Oh. Breslin notified the police who thought that the letter was probably from someone with knowledge of the shooting. The Breslin letter was sophisticated in its wording and presentation. 
especially when it's compared to the crudely written first letter. So the police suspect that maybe it was created in an art studio or similar professional location by someone like with expertise. Yeah, mm. uh, someone who, who knows printing, calligraphy, graphic design. The usual writing, the unusual writing caused the police to speculate that the killer was a comic uh, letterer and that thinking that they started to ask staff members of DC Comics if they recognized in the letter. Oh. Because the lettering was so like artistic and like the block lettering. Yeah. So they said, well, maybe it's someone with skills in this. So let's go to the sources of, of these. And so yeah. they went to DC Comics. Um, obviously, nothing came up. The Wicked King Wicker reference caused police to arrange private screenings of the Wicker Man. I, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Okay. They're like, is there something in this? Should we be investigating this? Um, the letters are so ominous. Mm-hmm. Um for so many different reasons. Even reading them out loud to you, I literally, my arms was like yeah, getting so many yeah, chills. Yeah, had chills, did not like. Because I just think too, he, there's such a twisted nature in that, but there's so much clarity in it. <laughs> that second one frightened me more than the first one. Yes, 100%. The, and the first one scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And I and here's the thing, I know that if it is David Berkowitz, this man's in jail, right? He They caught him. Yeah. However, um, just that I that first one is filled with a lot of like illusion and a lot of like grand, you know, insanity, mm-hmm. purposeful insanity, mm-hmm. purposeful typos. Mm. And the second one is so poignant mm-hmm. and very much threatening to this person who, who mm-hmm. you know, this creating almost this rapport between this reporter. Yeah. And here's the thing. Newspapers report the news. Right. In this case, they were making the news. Like, this was a direct conversation from a right. newspaper reporter to a murderer. That's interesting. There was a dialogue that was being that was being had there. I'll be honest. I didn't interpret it as a threat to the reporter for some reason. I interpreted it as a threat in general, like, yeah, wait yeah. for the 29th. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it's, like, totally... I don't think he's, like, coming for, 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 for Breslin. Breslin. Right. I do think, though, that there is certainly a, um, a conversation that's being had there saying... Oh, yeah. And that idea, like, I read your, your article... Like, I read it. I know it. So it's not like, so it starts to like scheme away that this can be some like, in like. Insanity defense, essentially. Yeah. Clearly, this is a person who's learning, who understands yeah. things, who knows how to read. He's, he's not illiterate, mm-hmm. as that first letter may have right. come across. And again, that's if they are the same human being. Right. Because there's also that list of names at the end. Are those all it's supposed to be the same names for the son of Sam? Or yeah. is it. That's what it's perceived. Like, these are the things. You, names here, of some a names. syndicate of. The Daily News publishes the letter a week later. Much to the dismay of the police, they didn't want that letter to be published. Mm -hmm. Um, And people kind of like jumped on Breslin and a lot of other newspaper uh, writers basically accused Breslin of creating news instead of reporting news Mm. and saying that taking this letter that's basically talking about murders is uh, unethical, uh, insane, and literally the opposite of what to be done here. This it's almost shining a spotlight on it. Right. Rather and and Brezen's like, this is our job. This is right. news and I reported it. Do you don't think I should have you know, he literally people asked him on, on television, you don't think I should should have like printed it? And they're like, No, you shouldn't have. And so I'm not sure about that. It yeah. was A it was addressed to him. Right. In response to his article in the Daily News. Right. But I do understand the idea of creating sensationalism around it. And the idea of like goat like I imagine goading the killer on, right? Like goading, like getting, if getting attention, if that's what he could want, yeah, as well. 
I don't know. God. So, again, the Daily News publishes a letter a week later, and it eventually agrees with the police to withhold portions of the text. Breslin urges the killer to surrender himself after the letter. Uh, the dramatic article makes the day's paper the highest-selling edition of the New York, Day, New York Daily News to date. Wow. More than 1.1 million copies of that paper were sold. Police received thousands of tips based on references in the publicized portions of the letter, all which proved useless. Mm. All the shooting victims to date had long, dark hair, and thousands of women in New York acquired short haircuts, brightly colored mm. dyes, and beauty supply stores were having wow. trouble meeting demands for wigs. Wow. Literally, and it's really great uh, in this documentary that's on Netflix right now. And I'm going to talk about this documentary more next week, but there's a whole, like, they highlight this whole, like, um, news report when they're interviewing this, you know, salon worker who's like, are you, do you, are you getting a lot of women, like, short haircuts? And they're like, yeah. And a lot of them don't look good on them, but, like, oh. they're just doing them. Like, like it's unbecoming. Wow. They're just doing it. On July 26, 77, there's another shooting. Uh, Sal Lupo, a mechanics helper who was 20, and Judy Placido, a recent high school graduate who was 17, had left uh, Elephus Discotheque in Bayside, Queens, and were sitting in Lupo's car around 3 a.m. when three gunshots went through the vehicle. Lupo was wounded in his right forearm, while Placido was shot in the right temple, shoulder, back, and neck. Both victims survived their injuries. Lupo told police that the young couple had been discussing the Son of Sam case literally moments before the shooting. Mm -hmm. Neither Lupo nor Placido had seen the attacker, but two witnesses reported a tall, dark-haired man in a leisure suit fleeing the scene in the area. One claimed to see him leave in a car and even supplied a partial license plate number. Mm. And you can't see it, dear listener, but Christina is slowly shrinking more and more into herself. You guys, I've never seen Christina so stressed out. These two weeks are dark. Um, So... We're in July of 77, and guess what happens on July 13th, Christina? July 13th. 1977. July 13th, It's not Bastille Day. That's the next day. Is there a shooting? No. There's not a shooting. There's a blackout. Oh! There's a 1977 oh. New York black, New York City blackout. Um, the city goes completely dark. It is disastrous. Mm. Oh, how terrifying. Exactly. Spoiler, there's no Son of Sam shootings during this. Okay. But with with all the shootings that had happening and with the anniversary approaching, police were trying to calm were trying to calm the looting down mm-hmm. because there's looting and and, and 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 riots everywhere during this blackout, but also trying to con- continue like establishing a sizable dragnet that emphasized um all of his past hunting rounds mm-hmm. in Queens and the Bronx. So the police were really like hitting Queens and the Bronx hard. Yeah. Um Tensions were were at all time high the night of the anniversary. So the anniversary comes, the 29th is here, um, and every police officer is basically working. Yeah. Um, and the Bronx, the Bronx and Queens are are packed. There's cops everywhere. Some cops even wore wigs and sat in in unmarked cars mm-hmm. to present as young women right. with their partner. Um, their just hope was to draw them out somehow, some way, and nothing happens. There's mm-hmm. no shooting. The anniversary comes and goes. Every officer has been stressed about this day. Yeah. Every official is stressed about the May. Everyone's stressed about it. And they play into that hand. Berkowitz does nothing. Mm-hmm. Until two days later. Interesting. Unlike any of his initial shootings, the next and final shooting occurs in Brooklyn. Hmm. And here's where itself gets stupid tragic. 
Early on July 31st, 1977, Stacey Moskowitz, a secretary, and Robert Violanti, a clothing store salesman, both 20, were in Violanti's car, which was parked under a streetlight near a city park in the neighborhood of Bath Beach in Brooklyn on their first date. They're kissing when a man approaches within three feet of the passenger side of Volante's car and fires four rounds into the car, striking both victims in the head before he escapes into the park. A man named Tommy Zeno was a witness to the shooting. Volante lost his left eye. Moskowitz, the only blonde victim of Berkowitz, dies from her injuries. Uh. It's so sad. There's a clip, and if I can find it, I'll, I'll, I'll put it, um, of Volante's father who had told him, begged him to stay out of Queens in the Bronx. He's like, stay out of Queens, stay so away. So he went to Brooklyn. So listening to his father's wishes, he, he goes to Brooklyn. I told him to stay out of Queens. He said, I'll do it for you and mom. I'll hang around in Brooklyn. And that's where he found them. Stacy Moskowitz, a pretty 20-year-old blonde, became the sixth to die in the killer's string of attacks. At the hospital, her father was stunned. I said to you, I something very dear to me. Great kid. That an animal should snuff away a life of a young girl, blind a young boy, and has killed others, and will probably go on killing. An animal like this has to be caught. That night, Detective John Folatica was awakened uh, at home and told to report to the 10th Homicide Division of the 60th Precinct Station in Coney Island. He was given two weeks to work on the moskowitz Falanti case uh, as a normal murder investigation, and if it could not be solved in that time frame, it was going to be given to the Son of Sam Task Force. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a Son of Sam Task Force. Hmm. The big theme of this has always been lack of evidence and real motive. Yes, it's been a pattern but in the victim, but not enough for a real hit list of suspects. Yeah. But then a slip and a fateful miss by Berkowitz. Cecilia Davis was walking her dog at the scene of the Moskowitz Violante shooting when she saw patrol officer Michael Cantanio ticketing a car that was left near the fire hydrant. Moments after the traffic police had left, a young man walked past her from the area of the car and seemed to study her with some interest. Davis felt concerned because he was wielding something in his hand but she couldn't make it out Mm. so she ran home only to hear shots being fired behind Mm. her in the street davis remained silent about this experience for four days until finally she contacts the police who then decide to check every car that had been ticketed that area that night Mm -hmm. berkowitz's 1974 door yellow ford galaxy yellow car oh yeah was among the cars that they investigated. On August 9th, 1977, NYPD Detective James Justice telephoned Yonkers police to ask them to schedule an interview with Berkowitz. The Yonkers police dispatcher who first took Justice's call was Wheat Carr, the daughter of Sam Carr, the sister of Berkowitz's alleged alleged cult confederates, John and Michael Carr. Yes, cult confederates. We yeah. will get what? there. <laughs> if you remember the name Carr, that's because that was the dog. Sam's car's dog was the dog that oh. we find out he's listening to. Okay. The car is going to be a very big piece of this puzzle next week. So this, okay, so the dispatcher named Carr is the, how is he related to Berkowitz? So. So the Yonkers police dispatcher who takes the call right. from um, NYPD detective James Justice, mm-hmm. that dispatcher was Wheat Carr. Right. Who is the... Daughter of Sam. 
daughter of who Sue. owns the do- who has the dog ah! and the bro- and the sister of John and Michael who we're gonna learn about next week. Okay. Justice asks the Yonkers police for some help in tracking down Berkowitz. And according to Mike Novny, a sergeant at the Yonkers Police Department, the Yonkers police had their own suspicions about Berkowitz and connected with other strange crimes in Yonkers. Crimes that they saw referred to in one of the Sound Sam letters. Yonkers investigators even told New York City detective that Berkowitz might be the son of Sam. The next day, August 10th, 77, police investigated Berkowitz's car that was parked on the street outside of his apartment at 35 Pine Street in Yonkers. They saw a gun in the back seat and thoroughly searched the car, finding a duffel bag filled with ammunition, maps of crime scenes, and a threatening letter addressed to Inspector Timothy Dowd of the Omega Task Force. They actually break into the car without a warrant. Mm. They're like, fuck this noise. I don't care. Uh, in the glove department was an unsent letter from the son of Sam talking about heading out to Long Island to shoot up a discotheque. Police then wait for Berkowitz to to break into the apartment rather than risk a violent encounter in the building's narrow hallway. Mm. They also waited to obtain a search warrant for the apartment, okay. worried that their search might be challenged in court. The initial search of the vehicle was based on the handgun that was visible in the back seat. Right, so that gives them probable cause yeah. or whatever. Although possession of such gun was legal in New York State and required no special permit. The mm. warrant still had not arrived when Berkowitz exited his apartment at 10 p.m. and entered his car. Um, and that was going to be the end of it. They weren't waiting. There was no more time for that. Detective John Falatico approaches the driver's side of the car. He points his gun close to Berkowitz's temple, while Detective Sergeant William Gardella points his at the passenger side. A paper bag containing a 44 caliber bulldog revolver of the same type that was identified in ballistics tests was found next to Berkowitz in the car. Berkowitz then flatly stated, Well, you got me. <gasps> As described in Son of Sam in 1981 by Lawrence D. Klossner, Detective Falatico remember the big, inexplicable smile on the man's face. Oh my God, I hate that. Now that I've got you, Detective Falatico said to the suspect, who have I got? You know, the man said, and what the detective remembered was a soft, almost sweet voice. <sighs> no, I don't. You tell me. <sighs> the man turns his head and says, I'm Sam. You're Sam? Sam who? Sam. David Berkowitz. John Falatico, the detective, was officially credited by the NYPD as the arresting officer of the son of Sam. Police searched the apartment, 7E, and found in disarray with satanic graffiti on the walls. They also found diaries that he had kept since he was 21 years old. Three stenographers' notebooks nearly full wherein Berkowitz meticulously noted hundreds of arsons that he committed and, and throughout New York City. Some sources speculate that the number of arsons might have been over 1,400. Oh, my God. Soon after Berkowitz's arrest, the address of the building was changed from 35 Pine Street to 42 Pine Street in an attempt to end the notoriety. <laughs> As I say it on the on this show, so you know, <laughs> it's right there, guys. So I guess it didn't work out. Also, what happened to Forty Two Pine Street? It doesn't exist no more. Hmm. After the arrest, Berkowitz was briefly held in the Yonkers Police Station before being transported directly to the 60th Precinct in Coney Island, where the detectives' task force was located. At about 1 a.m., Mayor Abraham Beam arrived to see the suspect personally. After a brief and wordless encounter, hmm. he announced to the media, "I'm very pleased to announce that the." People of the city of New York can rest easy this morning because of the fact that the police have captured a man whom they believe to be the son of Sam. 
And that's where we'll stop today. Ah, I just want you to know, Adam, that I can see something blowing outside your window. And every time I seem like, oh my God, someone's at the window. Yeah. I need to. <clears throat> I'm, fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's I'm a totally gruesome fine. story. Um, and, you know, today we really focused on what we know for the most part. And next week's going to be a lot of what we assume and what we think and what others have assumed and thought. And so I thank you all for, for taking this journey with me. Um, this is one of my longer episodes. <laughs> I usually try to stay a little shorter than Christina, but this, <laughs> this time around, I, I, I went heavy in. But um, next week, we're going to really get into post-arrest, the trial, the confession, and... A lot of speculation, conspiracy theory. Yeah, I got questions about that. I've got questions yeah. piling up. And we're going to have a lot of time next week to talk through those questions. Because I have questions too. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you haven't already, please like, subscribe, rate, review, all that jazz. Rating or reviewing is the most important of all the things we're saying. Yep. Um, I, I keep saying every week, if you if you leave us a review, some words on the iTunes, um, we're going to pick out a winner. We already got our first review in, and so he's now entered into our into our first winner's you know pot so um you know write get some, some competition come write on some stuff in we're gonna send you some prizes um and um and and yeah make sure to follow us on the socials we're gonna yep. do that oh uh i'm sorry i'm still stunned i'm still like in in the land of uh you can do that at ny mystery machine on instagram and ny mysteries on twitter and ny mystery machine on the facebook on the facebook that fancies you um with that uh, I've been Adam Mays. I've been Christina Marinelli. Thanks for uh, taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. We'll uh, we see you next see week. See you next week. Ooh.